0: this is a podcast from Minute Media. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete, and on the stack we talk about a bunch of new books that on have come the out this week. Stack. And we are going to talk about one of your requests: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Last Rodin at the end of the podcast. If you'd like to request a book, leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, rating five stars, and also request the book
1: only if you think we deserve it. You know, I don't. Otherwise, wanna, yeah, be six
0: stars or something like that. I don't even yeah. know if that's possible. But let's kick it off with the new stuff. First, Stranger Things Summer Special, number one from Dark Horse Comics, Ranger written by Lake. Keith Champagne, art by Kyle Philippe. This is, of course, timed to the release of the second volume of Stranger Things Season 4. However, this takes place during Stranger Things Season 3 and follows the two hapless cops from oh Hawkins boy. as they stumble through a mystery that is happening sideways. Rosencrantz and
2: Guildenstern style. That's just what I was going to say about this. Take it away, Justin. The perfect Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead for the Stranger Things universe, specifically season three. Like Alex said, this was fun. I thought they did a good job of um, approaching all of the scenes from a a way where we didn't quite know how it was going to spill out. And I like that they sort of broke the pattern um, at certain points in it. And I've been liking. I think we've we've reviewed a lot of these different Stranger Things sort of ancillary comic book content, and this they're, they are finding creative ways to approach the universe, which I appreciate. Pete, what about you?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's fun. Uh, I love the creepy grandma in it, um, but
2: uh... I mean honestly, you're leaning into this at this point, Pete. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, Especially I think, in a week when we're covering the uh, ur text for Hot Grandma <laughs> in a little bit. So really, truly, Pete. I'm sorry, the ur text? What did you have yeah. to say?
1: Original. It's like The original,
2: original text. Yeah.
1: yeah. All day I, ur day. Did you just uh, eat a high chew or what's going on with you right now? Yeah, I just had a Hulk Pez real quick. I needed to pick me up. <laughs> yeah, speed through these.
2: Um, wow, he's <laughs> yeah, juicing he, on the side during it's the podcast. He's got a Hulk fans uh, on the. the wow, the uh,
1: you know, comic is beautiful. It's you know it's fun. It's not as like some of the other ones have been like more intense or. Uh, this art's a little kind of reflective of these two kind of bumbling cops. So it's a little bit more. I don't want to say cartoony because I don't want to undercut how cool the art is, uh, but it's a. Uh, It's fun. Yeah,
0: I had a good time with this one as well, particularly because with so much focused on season four, I had kind of forgotten that I really like season three. So seeing this sideways adventure on it was a lot of fun. Why don't we move on to another one that's not a sideways adventure, but a prequel. Black Adam, the Justice Society Files Hawkman, number one from DC Comics, written by Kevin Scott and by Brian Q. Miller, art by... Scott Eaton, Maria Laura Sanapo, Travis Mercer, Jesus Marino, and Marco Santucci. I don't think all of them lurked on this specific book, but you know what? The credits weren't that good. Uh, that's my one criticism, though, because wow. Kevin Scott, wow. who was on our live show last week, teased this up really nicely for a cool mystery involving the movie version of Hawkman. It ties in and also tees up a couple of things that are presumably going to show up in the Black Adam movie starring Dwayne Johnson. But what did you guys think about this, both as a comic book and as a movie
1: tie-in? Well, first off, the covers made me think I was going to get a little bit more uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson in this comic, and it wasn't. So I was a little let down by that, but I was happy with the Hawkman story that uh, I got. I I thought it was an interesting, more Jack take on
2: Hawkman. More jacked.
1: Yeah, it's that like regular Hawkman,
2: like.
0: but more jacked. Well, Justin, what did you think about this one?
2: Interesting. Black Adam movie. Um, I'm curious. I'm a Hawkman fan, so to have a, finally getting to see like a a good take on Hawkman, I'm curious. I mean, good is we don't know really. Um, but as for the comic, like I, I liked it. I think. Uh, the, the Sockman is more jacked. But you would say, like, beefier, I think, Pete, right?
1: Yeah, that's what more jacked means. Pete, lean into your microphone. Oh my God.
0: Stop. Yes, that's what more Jack means. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, Yeah, this is a different take on Hawkman. I also really like the different take on Gentleman Ghost, a character that I have never understood my entire life as a comic book fan. This is the first time the character actually worked for me. I thought it was really good here and a good villain. So I was very happy about that.
2: He was more of a man than a gentleman. I felt Mm -hmm. like in this Exactly. Hot take.
0: Next up, Jane Foster of The Mighty Thor, number two, continuing our tour of teeing up major Please. media properties from Marvel, written by Torin Gronbach, <laughs> art by Michael Dowling. This issue, unlike the other two that we mentioned, this is only in name only, uh, tying into um, Thor love and thunder here. We're getting a Jane Foster who is Valkyrie. She is grappling with her identity, taking a tour of the Marvel universe. There's some bad things are coming. Well, have already come for Thor. She is investigating the mystery
1: of where he has gone. Pete, what'd you think about this one? Well, I hope like this is like half of what the movie we're going to see here with love and thunder. This is a cool Jane kind of take. And, um, uh, I feel like uh, you know if we 're not going to get this in a movie now i 'm a little sad about it, so uh, but i I like this. I thought it was great. art was fantastic, love the kind of action and uh, kind of the explanation of uh, kind of the different handoff for the title of Thor
2: I mean a lot of Thor comics are like pretty intense, bad news for Asgard and Thor in general. This one was more stressful for me. I don't know why. It just feels like it's everything bad happening at once. Um, I really like the the way they're treading the line between Valkyrie and uh, and Thor Mjolnir, and like we're not really seeing uh, the uh, the Thor, the Jane Thor uh, yet. I think is interesting. and uh, I don't know what the where we're going. It's just bad things, bad things, bad things, and there's still sort of the 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 trail, the the trail of crumbs that she's chasing.
0: I agree. This is a very stressful read, but I think that's down to Torin Granback, who has been turning in some really good comics lately. Uh, the art by Michael Dowling is good, and there is a cameo by one of my favorite underused. Marvel Comics characters. This ties back to, this is kind of a spoiler, but ties back to Inferno, one of my favorite crossovers. So I was very surprised to see this character show up here, but it's cool and it's fun. Next up, Mind Management Bootleg, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Matt Kent, art by Farrell Mm. Dalrymple. This is bringing back Mind Management, a property that is about a secret society slash organization that has been controlling and running and saving the world for decades. One of the things that really characterized the first version of this series is Matt Kent was playing around with the comic book form the entire time. There were always coded messages everywhere and things hidden in the margins of the comic. Here we get a little bit of that and it is so cool. Farrell Daryl Ripple's art is so awesome. And even though it's a new iteration, even though I didn't know that I necessarily wanted more mind management, I am so excited to have this back. I don't want to spoil any of the surprises here, but same sort of thing, playing with it in new
1: versions I love this. What about you This guys? is This is a really smart comic. It's done really well. Uh, the art is amazing. It's quite an adventure. It's a fun, like, oh, man, you don't know what's going to kind of happen next. I, I had a great time with this. This is really impressive.
0: I uh, – sorry to interrupt you, Justin. I'm just – I'm surprised, pleasantly surprised to hear that, Pete, because – I was a little worried, given that there's a lot of interstitial and written information, which is something that you hasn't necessarily loved over in the X Men comics, Pete. I was worried reading this that you were not going to like it. So because of that, so I'm glad to hear that you. I think you did. it was
1: the the style differential and stuff like that. The mm-hmm. the way it was kind of brought together that didn't you know, remind me of that. So uh, I was kind of pulled into this world instead of kind of forced into doing a style that I don't enjoy in the other one.
2: Um, I really like this as well. I thought this is, I feel like you don't even ha- need to have read any of the other uh, mind management stuff. You can really yeah, walk agreed. into this. Um, and it's, art's very cool, um, fun, sort of tense mysteries throughout. And there's a great little back matter thing here that I thought was a fun twist on things we've seen before.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I love when we get to see behind the curtains of like, uh you know how things are made and stuff like that and to kind of see what they did with the script and, and paneling, but the art is really impressive. Did you read it, Pete? Yeah, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh, because that wasn't the panels.
0: We, let's manner. just let's just spoil something for a second here. This is the, the thing that they do. One of the things that they do in the issue is they end it with, here's a little peek behind the curtain. If you want to read a comic book script and find out how a comic book is made, right. compare this to the comic you read. It's not that. It's more information about the characters. And more, it doesn't actually match up to anything that's happened in the comic book. It's entirely new panels and entirely new information about the characters.
1: But that's very creative and different, and oh, like, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, not in the book.
1: It's not an actual script. Well, it is a script because it says the panel, and then just you. There's writing, and it kind of shows you what a script in a comic would look like. D- totally fair. Uh, Did you read, while we're spoiling the little bits in the comic book,
0: did you read the panel that uh, was all text that said, you're probably not going to read
2: this?
0: (laughs) Yep, I know you did. Uh, Yeah, yeah, there's a panel in there where it's like, it gives more information. It's like, hey, this is all text, so you're probably not going to read this panel, but you're going to come back and read it later. Great stuff like that throughout the book. Super awesome. Let's move on to an ending here that's a little more straightforward, surprisingly, by comparison. The Joker, number 15, from DC Comics, written by James the IV and Sam Johns. Art by Giuseppe Camancoli and Sweetie Boo. This is the final issue of Joker, tying up the mystery of Commissioner Jorgen, Jordan, Commissioner Gordon, sorry. Wow. <laughs> track uh, <laughs> Michael, Michael Jordan, <laughs>
2: Jordan. Michael Jordan. And his Tr- friend, that, and his friend, the... That- Larry He's tracking Bird. down the Jerker. It's great. <laughs> this is really good. good Jordan night, D. White.
0: Good night, everybody. I'm uh, tracking the down panels? the Joker. It's basically Gordon <laughs> laying oh down the whole mystery for
1: Batman over the course
0: of the issue. What would you guys think about this one?
1: Well, regardless of uh, you know what you, I, I thought it was like kind of just a little bit of a letdown because it was a just a debrief the whole time. It was kind of Gordon monologuing to Batman.
2: That's nice. That's the, that's the point. It's where the mystery is unfolded. For Oh, oh, I didn't know this is the part where I, you would just
1: cut me off and kind of ruin what I was building towards. Cool. Uh, Yeah. That's what I was going to say that. It was like, it was this thing that was kind of like a, a letdown as far as like, we're not living the action live, but the fact that at the end of it, you know, Gordon and uh, kind of talking about, like, how much he likes these talks on the roof and like what it means to him mm. was interesting and cool. Uh, but as far as like the oh, what's going to happen, tension was gone because it was afterwards in the debrief. So
2: what you're saying, Pete, is you both liked it and absolutely hated it.
1: <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah.
2: Just to uh, boil it down. Did, um, what did you
0: think about it, Justin?
2: I liked it a lot. Um, there are a lot of great twists and turns that we get sort of exposed here. Great callbacks. I don't want to spoil them, but great callbacks to some characters from the past and uh, some sort of repeated action that will haunt um, James Jurgen the um, commissioner for quite some time. Uh, and you know old I, JJ. I, JJ. I feel like they pulled this off. Uh, I mean, To do this series and have it be pinned to Commissioner Gordon the entire time, I don't think we really anticipated that. And they never switched perspectives, which I thought was cool.
1: It was impressive, the fact that we got this amazing Jim Gordon story in the Joker book uh, and delved uh, really deep into these characters. So. It is impressive what was accomplished in this overall. I'm on the same page with you, Pete, just in terms of this is not what I was expecting
0: for the final issue, but structurally making this basically like an Agatha Christie style mystery where the detective lays out everything in the final uh, scene or whatever it is. I think that made total sense. Overall, this has been a phenomenal book that I've really liked a lot. Yeah. Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number two, from Marvel, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Art by Carmen Carnero. Captain America, among many other things that he's doing, is exploring a mystery about his shield and what it actually means in a secret cabal that maybe have originated that symbol, potentially. There's some big revelations to this issue. This book is killing it i think yeah. i
1: love this what about you guys yeah i mean i, I agree oh go ahead go ahead Pete. you go uh, i was just really impressed with the uh swings that is taking and the moves that is happening uh the way it kind of just kept ramping up was really impressive i also really like the small moments of like teaching the kid how to box and all that kind of stuff uh I keep thinking like, oh, I understand what's happening in this comic.
2: And then it keeps making better choices, which is really enjoyable. Go ahead. You're familiar with a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Yeah. Like if you're in a field. That's how I roll every day. Sure. Yeah. Pete dresses a sheep, but he's a blood-hungry wolf. Um, I feel like this comic is... A great comic that wrapped in just a regular comic, like a comic we've seen before, because it feels like, oh, here's Captain America. He's just starting over being an aw shucks hero going out and doing (laughs) stuff. But uh, it's just a great version of that. The art is really nice, really clean. And the mystery is really engaging. And it's using Captain America history, but also sort of remixing it in a way that I just didn't see coming. Like you're saying, Alex.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, Really well said, Justin. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Pete.
0: Yeah. Wow. Friends starhenge book one, the dragon and the boar number one from image comics by Liam sharp. This is a remix of Arthurian mythology over multiple timelines. It is absolutely wild, but in my mind it stands out for the incredible art by Liam sharp, which I, I would
1: say it's worth it for the art alone. Pete, what would you say? Wow. Well, it's fun when, you know, your fellow podcaster takes everything that you wanted to say. uh, And then you immediately say, hey, what are your thoughts? You know Uh, what,
2: Pete? That's a bananas good point. I'm (laughs) glad you said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: this, the art is bananas good. It's worth it for the art alone. This is just beautiful, creative well laid out, tripped out, but also uh, impressive. I, I, yeah. Wow.
2: It's bananas for the good alone. It's a, a kick in the art pants the entire time. <laughs> Great stuff. Dark. Uh, no, I, no, I lo- yeah, also right. like this. This was a wild read. This is a w- th- th- I was going to say a little bit more. This is a wild read and a wild ride that I liked.
0: Really good stuff. Uh, definitely like very European comic style. So if oh, you're into that sort of
1: thing, I think weird. check this out. Did you say weird? Yeah, weird. Like I, I, I didn't get that vibe from it. But, uh, you know, maybe if you put like a little uh beret on there and it smoked a cigarette, it would kind of have that feel. But mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know if it was like Big
0: Ben or like whatever. You know, that would be nice. pretty cool. Yeah. Is it just, just went because to use- Europe.
1: You, uh, you know, it, it was uh, beautiful and the artwork was like so kind of huge that it made you think of the across the pond. I'm just trying to. Yeah,
2: it was I when mean, the guy, For me, where... it was when the guy barfed the fish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you were like, oh, yeah. Europe. I was, Europe. I was like, that's Europe. Yeah. Uh, and when
0: they played Scotty Doesn't Know, I think that did it.
1: Oh, well. wow. Good for you. <laughs> Miss Guzzi. Miss Guzzi. Dark Crisis number two from DC Comics,
0: written by Joshua Williamson, art by Daniel Semperi. In this issue, Titan's Tower is under attack by Deathstroke and a cadre of villains. How are you guys feeling about this event so far? Two issues in.
1: Well, first off, the covers were cool. Very cool. I think this is super fun. Loved all the cool fight scenes. Uh, built tension nicely i i love the um cyborg entrance in this uh yeah when it was just kind of fighting uh focusing on the fight scenes i was in it to win it uh, i'm not sure what's happening as far as like a bigger arc yet but uh
2: <laughs> the hells do yeah let's do this i love the cyborg entrance but i don't know what's happening otherwise in this book um I- I think it's this event is interesting. It's not what I expected. It's very focused on sort of passing the torch, uh, which makes a little bit of sense since the Justice League is sensibly dead and it's up to everybody else except for Hal Jordan, oddly, who's there. Um, But it's also such a focused event. It's very like following these characters in sort of like one-to-one experiences when I would think it would be more like, the most crises events are just so big and jumping around so much. And this is not doing that.
0: It's I wish it was swinging bigger and maybe it will in later issues. I think the art was awesome. And Joshua Williamson, we love him here. He's always a good, reliable writer. But to call out a specific moment, and this is a big spoiler in the book, but it comes down to this fight where Deathstroke, has Nightwing in his sights and Nightwing says, All right, if you if you're gonna leave everybody alone, if you kill me, kill me. And they pull back from that and they do a classic comic book thing of like, no, it's not time to kill everybody yet. And they leave. And I wish I don't want them to kill Nightwing, but I wish they yeah. had killed Nightwing in that moment. Like that's no, the that's... sort of thing. That's the sort of thing that would feel like to be like, oh, my God, what is happening in this book? And even if they reverse everything and everybody comes back to life by the end of the book, that's the sort of big swings I need from a crisis. Like, I need a crisis to be like, this changes everything. And if instead it's keeping status quo –
1: yeah, but this is Final Crisis 2. This isn't the, you know what I mean? It's not like you got to take it down in the second one a little bit. It can't be such a huge crisis. It's got to be a uh, little bit. Yeah, little, It's yeah. like how Harold and Kumar 2 was like a little bit of a letdown after Harold and Kumar go to White Castle.
2: I mean, that was oh, the yeah. best
1: one out of all of them. Come on, dude. You,
2: you know, I like that that's the reference that's uh, throbbing in your brain right <laughs> when we're talking about this.
0: Well, why don't we move on to another burgeoning event? Avengers Forever, number seven from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Aaron Cooter. In this issue, our Avengers are continuing their tour of the multiverse. Here, we're getting a bunch of Steve Rogers all in prison together, trying to figure out what's going on and how to break out. This was awesome.
2: This was so much fun the art was I mean, great. I feel like when I was reading when I was reading this book I was like, is this an issue of Ice Cream Man that has been somehow mashed up into the Marvel universe? But no, like that's what I feel like we talk about this a lot, but Jason Aaron is just having so much fun in the Marvel universe right now and he has like a total blank slate to just do whatever uh he wants and He's making some great choices. Yeah, that's the thing. That's
1: the nice thing about like a – oh, Justin, do you have a question? I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Okay.
2: No, uh, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, I I will answer – I give answers in um the, in the form of a question. Okay. Sorry.
1: You your hand. So anyways, I, I think it's one of those things where um, Jason and Aaron should be allowed to do whatever he wants because he is killing it. This is such a creative, cool comic that you wouldn't see for a normal like Avengers Uh, So it's impressive what we're getting in this. And, man, it's a lot of fun. I did not want this to end. Well, I'll also throw
0: out there, not to pit one thing against each other, but the way that they're doing the multiverse in the movies and TV shows does not even come close to comparing to what Jason Aaron does in this one comic book. Like, thinking very specifically about Multiverse and Madness, where they're like, I don't know. What if he was paint for a second? All right. Anyway, here's a universe where stop signs are different versus (laughs) this, where you get so many different Steve Rogers and so many different iterations for a very specific thematic purpose that ties into the origin of Steve Rogers and gets to the core of the character in 20 pages. It's fantastic. Love it. Moving on, though. Closet number two from Image Comics, written by James Town fourth, art by Gavin Fullerton. This is following the story of a e. uh, little child who is scared of their closet, uh, and they have rights to be because there's oh, a terrifying creature this that lives inside. And the no-account dad who is taking them across the country as they move.
2: Oh, God, this book. Yeah, this right? was my favorite read of the week, I think. What this the was... fuck are
1: you talking about? I literally was like, nope and had to walk away like this was so fucking upsetting fuck you for what you did to this little kid like this was really fucked up like I like you you set this up as somebody who's like oh yeah whatever I'm so wrapped up in my fucking life I'm not gonna notice the turmoil that this fucking poor child is going through and it uh, just is a nightmare scenario that I hated to see play out I know you're calling it a
0: nightmare scenario not to jump on Justin, but Justin is upstate with both of his kids right now. And I feel like this is actually a dream scenario.
2: Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, that's what like that's what I loved about the book. So you want
1: this to happen to your children?
2: No, I mean, I just I tell my kids about the the alien monster in the closet a lot. Just trying to like to start this process going Warn your kids. Uh, but what I, I like about this book is that it, um, it really gets into that there's great intimate moments here, despite the fact that it's also terrifying for half of the book.
1: It's so that's what's hard to enjoy the small moments, the slice Stop. of life stuff, because of the uh, horrible things happening uh, uh, to well, children. Uh, That's what I think is so wonderful about this. I mean,
0: first of all, Gavin Fullerton's art is sparse and beautiful throughout this book, even though it's mostly a conversation between two guys outside drinking beers over a fire. But um, beautiful, beautiful stuff. So well done. There's a creeping dread throughout this book. Incredible. Incredible. Let's move on, though. Suicide Squad Blaze Book 3 from DC Comics, written by Simon Spurrier, art by Aaron Campbell. This is the last issue of this book about a group that has been working with the Suicide Squad to try to take down a serial killer who has seemingly unlimited powers. But every time one of them dies, they gain more and more power equal to him. We all finish it here in, without getting too much into spoilers, a very meta way. I thought this book was really cool with some gorgeous art by Aaron Campbell. What did you guys think?
1: Yeah, I, you want to talk about worth it for the art alone. This is like fireworks in comic panel art form. It's really just the splashing and the use of colors in this way is, is just hypnotizing and, and impressive as fuck, man. This is, uh, this is really cool.
2: Yeah, I agree. The sort of neon you can the the way the art built and sort of ramped up right along with the the action and the, the narrative was really cool. Uh, sort of a subtle touch in there and just some big Suicide Squad uh, action that sort of blows the roof off um, in ways that they often can't do in the regular books.
0: The Amazing Spider-Man number 5 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by John Romita Jr. Some bad stuff has happened with Spider-Man, and some even worse stuff in the last issue as is Tombstone tricked him into taking down the Rose. That's where we pick up in this issue. As he decides to take the psychological fight, at the very least, back to Tombstone. I'm really enjoying this run a lot. I think it's very different and very fun in a surprising way. How about you guys?
1: Uh, The shot of, like, bloody Spider-Man, like, kind of like, you know, this ominous, creepy fucking thing really has stayed with me and I'm having a hard time shaking off. But uh, really awesome moments. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening in this comic. Uh, You know, even the small moments, the back and forth between Spider-Man and Tombstone at the kind of the end of the comic, really impressive. Uh, I'm, you know, not only is the art bananas good, but the story is great. It's impressive to see what they're doing in this.
2: Pete's falling back in love with Spider-Man. It's about time that it happened. Uh, he, Spider-Man gets his face messed up in this so many times. It's just hard to look at that. Uh, but I I do like this book is so surprising. I keep thinking it's going to be an out of continuity Spider-Man book. But it's not. It's happening uh, for him, to him.
0: Really good stuff. Let's move on and talk about That Texas Blood, number 15, from Image Comics, written by Chris Condon, art by Jacob Phillips. This is following a serial killer with a Halloween mask who is stalking the town during winter, I guess. So he's a little bit A off. blizzard. Yeah, a couple of months off, I guess. But, Justin, you've been really digging this arc in particular. What would you think about this one?
2: I love this comic. I feel like they just are telling some, like, uh, different uh, stories from different genres um, in each new arc here. And this getting into sort of the the serial killer uh, way of it. Um, And I like the way they sort of come at it from a different angle. It's just really smart writing and all about focusing in on little moments with each character. Uh, This is one of my favorite series on the stand, so I say pick it up.
1: Yeah, I mean we talk about pretty much every issue of this uh, for good reason. It's really impressive what they're accomplishing in every issue. Art is bananas good, the writing is top-notch. It's really impressive the different angles they're coming at like Justin was talking about. Uh every time you open it up it's a it's a treat. Definitely agree. Flashpoint Beyond, number three
0: from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, Jeremy Adams, and Tim Sheridan. Art by Zermonico and Mikkel Janine. In this issue, the Superman of the Flashpoint Earth is trying to recruit Batman, who is Thomas Wayne, to help him in a coming fight. Things are getting pretty bad, but Batman don't care. He's got his own stuff going on. Meanwhile, in the background, a lot of time shenanigans are going on, and we don't know exactly what's happening with that. Also, a serial killer is on the loose. So a lot of stuff happening in this issue. How are you guys feeling about this event so far?
2: Uh, i Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, like, I, I thought this issue had really um, sort of more, more to stay on the art side than the previous issues. I, getting into some more fantastical things, which I thought was cool. It's interesting sort of building the, these alternate uh, Flashpoint universe versions of these characters. It almost feels like this book is a little bit more crisis than the Dark Crisis book, which I think is a funny flip-flop.
1: It's definitely more intense than the Crisis one, which I don't really know if it's a good thing right now because I don't really know what the fuck is going on. I just know Cranky Batman's not having any of it. So... Okay
2: I mean, Batman I
1: wasn't I was happy to see The Yellow Flash dead I just don't know What's happening You know what I mean uh, I do think we need To start getting Some Spoiling answers stuff. here As of the next issue Of this
0: book I, I, So I'm on the same page As you Pete But I continue to like this A lot more than Flashpoint I think there's some Interesting things That potentially yeah. Are going on here A lot of it though Depends on how it all Comes together
2: If you find yourself saying, I want my Batman older and crankier, this is the book for you.
0: (laughs) Little Monsters, number five, from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn. In this issue, our adorable little vampires have met a new predator who is trying to take them down, just as they've tried human blood for the first time and are really enjoying it. So it's a real bummer for them. Um, uh, How are you guys feeling? Are you rooting for these... What adorable the fuck? little monsters here. You want them Dude. to take out the human race or like this dumb hunter guy. Who what, wants to what's kill going all on our with friends. you?
1: You, you uh, really getting into blood and stuff lately? Uh, Listen, so? I
0: had like one taste of blood and I'm never going back, man.
2: Wow. You live wow. in that vamp never life? Never going back. vamp yeah. life.
1: Life. Uh, well, Zalvin continues to get creepier and creepier with time. No surprises there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy what's kind of happening in this town with these kids. And you really have a sweet little moment where this kid kind of refuses to leave this other kid's side. Um, yeah, and I'm interested to kind of find out what's going on with the kind of older people, but... Yeah, this is not only beautiful, but uh, a really kind of interesting and creepy book.
2: Yeah, these kids were uh, sort of on a nice run for a while, and then uh, things seemed to be turning uh, against them. But I like that were getting a little bit of backstory with each issue. And um, there's a stillness in this book, I think, with the art and the writing that I think we don't see in a lot of comics that I like.
1: Oh, great, man.
0: Batman, Killing Time, number five from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by David Marquez in this issue. It's all coming down to a big fight in the park for our relic. We finally find out what that relic is, though we don't know exactly what it does, as well as a big revelation at the end of this issue. I know all of you, including myself. All,
2: all two of you and you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, okay. really like this
0: book, but what did the three of us think of it?
1: Well, i i'm having a i'm having a blast with this. I love the art, uh, love the action. They're kind of really the pace of this is very enjoyable. Uh, this is uh, this is one of my favorite books.
2: This is my favorite read of the week, which is something I never say. Um, I th- thought this was great. There's a great reveal here. It's also just heartbreaking. The first like. Five or six pages are just talking about the way different uh, people die and little snapshots of their lives. I thought it was so, so good and so affecting. So I really enjoyed this.
0: And even worse, this is the saddest, most frustrating part of those first couple of pages. I believe most of those people who die uh, were named after podcasters and we weren't included. And that's very upsetting. No, I want to die. I, yeah. I want I want a bunch of criminals. <laughs> Do, hey, in
1: we're on the same page with that one,
2: buddy. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! Oh my gosh! Dark turn. Let this late, this is a real slice of death. Our podcast, and I don't know if I can handle it.
0: Twig number three from Image Comics, written by Scotty Young, art by Carl Stram. In this issue, our main character is continuing his adorable, but terrifying adventure through the land to save the world.
1: Pete, I know you're a big fan of this comic. What did you think about this issue? This continues to be glorious. Uh, The art and storytelling, minimal words and text, which I just love. Get your fucking words out of my art. Let me enjoy this beautiful world. Uh, This is so creative and fun, but, man, kind of takes a little twist at the end where our hero is maybe doing something that isn't hero-like. I'm a little concerned about Twiggy's motivation, but, man, goddamn, every issue of this is just fantastic.
2: If you hate words on your RP, you should try paintings. They are fun. Uh, but I like uh, Twig a lot. There's a I do think this character has changed so much in just the three issues that we've read of yeah. this book. Pretty impressive stuff. Poison Ivy,
0: number two from DC Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Marcio Takara. In this issue, Poison Ivy is continuing her journey across the country, trying yeah. to kill the entire world with a mall, baby. Viral pandemic. You like that, Pete? Yeah. Mm, wow. Okay, weird. Too soon? Too
2: Very soon? much
0: too soon. Uh, but in this issue, she stops at a diner to spread her virus even further and encounter somebody who may swerve her from her mission. I'm loving how dark this book is. What about you guys? What do you think?
1: I agree. If you're shitty to your can you deserve believe to die. Oh, sorry, Justin, you were going to say
2: something. Wow, say. that's uh, another... I was going to say, I can't believe how dark this book is. Like it, again, another book that feels like it's not in continuity uh, because it's just like straight up murder. Um, <laughs> and, it, it, but it's really good. Like, I love the way like the Poison Ivy, like meets this, this woman and they sort of strike up some sort of connection and she doesn't care. She lets it go. This it's just so
1: creative. The art is really unbelievable. And it's a interesting take on Poison Ivy and done to the max, you know. Turn to eleven. Uh, let's see if po- what poison ivy would do. So I'm I'm excited to see how this all unfolds. And shout out to Marcio Takara on
0: art. I love the different takes shout on out. Ivy, the different uh, takes on vegetation as well that she puts in here are so sort of yeah. cool and trippy. It's a really, really good book. Very interested to see where it goes. Next up, Once in Future number twenty-seven from Boob Studios, written by Karen Gillan, art by Dan Mora. In this issue, the sword Excalibur emerges and all the Arthurian kings are going for it. Meanwhile, our heroic grandma is trying to stop them. Pete,
1: go ahead.
2: The, just, the, the grandma of origin, Pete.
1: Just, I mean, uh, this is crazy bananas. The, the amount of all the things coming together here for the sword and the stone moments. Um and yeah you know you're gonna try if you're standing near it why wouldn't you try to pull it out see if you're a hero or not um I like that I, I just you can't get enough of this grandma you know when we don't see her I'm constantly wondering what's going on with her what's she doing uh, it's just because you love her it's one of the great characters in comic books and uh, I'm glad we were here to witness it because uh, you know this this changed history <laughs>
2: This changed history. (laughs) Wow. How do you follow that up? I mean, I got to say, like, I do like this book, um, but it still is like, to me, it, it got just too big. And I don't know how they can just carve it back down Mm -hmm. to a point where I can sort of understand why characters are doing anything. It seems like the characters are even like, "Okay, so wait, what are we doing? (laughs) And uh, I just feel like I want a little bit more of a contained story with this one. I'm with you, Justin, on this. I got to be perfectly honest. When
0: we were putting together this stack, I was like, do we have to? talk about this one and then i realized pete would get mad if we didn't talk about it That's so right. i included it but it's like wh- where are we going we need an end game for this what are you title about? at this like, point there was, we need to
1: finish it there was golden girls and that brought up grandmas to a level that everybody could re- sure. respect and acknowledge and then there's once in future you know what i mean like they're both Doing the I same. I have a question work. for you, Pete. There's yeah.
0: a book, and I swear I'm not making this up, coming out from Image Comics called Golden Rage, which is about yes. Hunger Games but with grandmas. Oh, if we man. start reviewing that, can we stop reviewing once in the future?
2: Um, no, no. How?
0: <laughs> no, we can't. Oh, man. All right. No trade there. DC versus Vampires, number seven from DC Comics, written by James Todd and the fourth and Matthew Rosenberg. Bergy. There we go. Art by Otto Schmidt. In this issue, a bunch of survivors are fighting against uh, the vampires who have taken over the country. They come up with a plan to try and take things back. Pete, I know you've really been digging this title. What did you think about this issue?
1: This is just amazing art, amazing action coming head to head. Uh, You get it all in the title, but they're just having so much fun with this event. And I'm loving it. I think this is such a cool idea and a fun kind of expression of it. Uh, amazing last page. It was just great all the way through. There's some comics that are kind of like building towards attention or whatever. This is just like nonstop from start to finish. Just a solid action-packed comic that delivers on every issue. I'm having a blast
2: wow the energy is palpable um I, I agree though with pete like this book is so fun it feels like it feels like they're just cramming every great idea uh, all, all at once like they're running out of time with this and it's moving quickly in a way i didn't expect and i love how down and out our heroes are our little cadre of dc uh stars the War, number two from Dark
0: Horse Comics, written by Kevin Scott, art by Andre Ponce. As mentioned, we talked to Kevin Scott about this title and a little bit about this issue on last week's live show so definitely check that interview out but in this issue our supernatural hospital is dealing with multiple things at the same time there is a troll being born there's a gelatinous cube that's eating somebody and a bunch of other things that are going on they manage to figure everything out but things don't go completely well along the way uh we i think really enjoyed the first issue of this what do you think about the second one
2: yeah, I I, I like it a lot. Okay. I feel like the way they're like, really, the premise is so strong and they're just like, let's do the premise and then we'll, we'll key into these characters slowly and like build, tease out sort of what's unique about them. But like, it's just fun. All the different uh, fictional or mythological beings and characters that pop up here and in scenarios where uh, you don't expect exactly how it's going to come out.
1: Yeah, I really <laughs> think this is a great kind of idea for a comic and really well executed where right now it's not really the main characters that we care about it's all the characters that are going through trauma that are coming to this hospital the whole like cube thing was hysterical and intense and i really was like oh man this baby thing is all right but i'm really interested in what's going to happen to this cube person so like it it does a great job of like kind of splitting things up and making it really fun. Um, And yeah, I'm really like the main characters. Sure, 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 sure. But I'm having so much fun with the other stuff. I agree. Very fun book. Last
0: but not least, this was the request this week. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin from IDW Publishing. Story by Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, Tom Waltz, and Andy Kuhn. Art by Kevin Eastman, Esau, and Isaac Escorza, and Ben Bishop. If I remember correctly, this is based on an old pitch slash uh, right. maybe they sketched some stuff out by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird back in the day, back when they were originally doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that never got done. Eventually, they did it, uh, and it was Kevin Eastman taking it. I know a lot of people have talked about, finally, it's Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird working together again. I don't think it was exactly that. It was Peter Laird being yeah. like... Sure, go ahead and do this thing, but they are working off of some of those layouts there, and it's all uh, essentially Dark Knight Rises, except with Michelangelo, as I think the oh, easiest go fuck way of... yourself by trying to do stuff like that to it. Okay, it's Old Man Logan, except with Michelangelo. Now we surprised. What the fuck,
2: man? He's, and he on. finally he finally pops his nunchucks at the end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but it is. It's like it has elements of Dark Knight Rises, except with the movie. I'm talking why about the are you, why movie. So, why are you no- so
1: mad?
2: Why are you so because mad? Because
1: the reason I'm so mad is this book is more than some other fucking movie and don't mash it up like this. It's book- more than the seminal Frank Miller graphic novel that everybody loves.
0: I'm sorry I compared yes, it, it to is. things that people it, like.
1: It's, it's, I guess it's fine to do that. But what's upsetting is this is revisiting a team that changed comic books forever and created Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and revisiting it not only with the same black and white style, but showing Michelangelo as not this pizza party dude, cowabunga, but what he originally was, was the heart of the team.
0: You're right. Uh, I'm sorry, Pete. I apologize. I'll come up with a better metaphor. It's like uh, the 86 Mets uh, meets Two Ninja Turtles, and only Daryl Strawberry survived. Wow. So
1: Daryl (laughs) Strawberry is Michelangelo. (laughs) Yeah, he's like the funny one. I was going to say more (laughs) teeth. I was going to say Keith Hernandez, but all right. Uh, I okay. Mean, okay. I, I mean, can see that you know well. Maybe Lenny Dykstra, but uh, okay. Sure. I mean, Darryl I'm so Straubourg. sorry.
2: Did I, I just walk into the wrong podcast? I feel like I apologize. <laughs> I'm going to go. Maybe it's the one podcast down the lane so, here. So uh, yeah. This I is, left.
0: you're listening to the Amazons, the podcast about the 86 Mets. Pete, what's your favorite you're thing about that to...
1: apple that comes out of a top hat every time they hit a home run? Wow. <laughs> Look at Zalvin flexing his Mets knowledge on us.
2: Whatever. I mean, I know, you're since Mets guy. Yeah. Um, it's the only
1: thing I
2: I think, I mean, I think Alex is right. And Pete, this is, you haven't really said what you actually think of this book, but it's, um, it's using those influences and bringing them to uh, the Turtles and it's used in a way that I think is it's good. It's not like it's a clone of those things. I don't think it's insulting yeah. to compare it to them. It's a tonal thing, and it's like sort of that, like, gritty one-turtle journey just trying to keep on living. He's well, a, I
1: think, yeah, I, what I'm worried about is what Zalbin uh, is saying is cheapening what, what we're doing here. You're and, worried about somebody listening to the podcast and be like, Dark Knight Rises
0: meets Teenage digitals Mut- Ninja Turtles, two things I like. No way I'm checking that out. Is that your fear
1: here? No, my fear is that you're taking an original idea and aping it onto something that may or may not... uh, uh, All right, retract it. So let's take it back. Let's erase everything. (laughs) Teenage
0: Mutant Ninja Turtles, the last rodent, is literally nothing I've ever seen before that there is no way of
1: describing it. Pete, what'd you think? Okay, great. So what I really liked about this is it showcases my favorite turtle, Michelangelo, but no, it's, it's about loss. It's about, uh, you know, uh, a family and, you know, the changing of the guard and a lot of different things that uh, for somebody who was kind of born and raised on the old Eastman and Laird Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just to see these names together again was emotional. Uh, the, the panel that, uh, you know, Mikey paying homage to his brothers as he's trying to get vengeance and you get their weapons kind of used sporadically. And when you get to the nunchucks, the nunchakus, uh, I was fucking bawling my (laughs) eyes out because there was something that I haven't seen since the 80s. And that's my favorite character, drawn exactly how it was back then. And it was really... Uh, a fantastic story that only that also touched upon some of the old Eastman and layered kind of themes and uh, moved the story forward. So I was really impressed that we were kind of able to reach back in time with these flashbacks to the old style of art while having this new style also work with it. Um, Just Really, really powerful and so much fun. And I'm so glad someone recommended that we kind of take this uh, dip back in time, if you will, to uh, a a moment in time of comics that really changed the
2: game. I cried, too. I cried when you said Ninchakus. Uh, Go ahead, Alex.
0: Uh, Just real quick, Pete, am I allowed to talk about the plot of the book or is that going to imply to people that it's derivative as well and has a plot?
2: derivative um, of itself
1: go, yeah. go ahead you can go ahead just oh, don't great. compare it to something you
0: no understand. i'm not going to compare it to anybody i'm just going to talk about the plot but i don't want anybody to be like a plot and get upset about that so michael An- rest of the turtles are dead this is years later in the future michelangelo is alone and fighting against the guy who killed the rest of the turtles uh spoiler for the edge of the first issue but he fails and when he fails He finds some old allies that help him build up the fight again, up until there is a final fight with, essentially, this new Shredder by the end of the issue. But as Pete mentioned, it goes through a bunch of different styles. We get the very old-school Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle style from the Eastman and Laird run. We get uh, some flashbacks within flashbacks, as well as things happening in the future. Justin, what did you think about this one?
2: I like this book a lot. I think I reviewed this already, but I guess we're deleting that because it was a derivative review from before. So we're saying what we said again, Pete, right? What are we saying? Just tell us what the fucking thought of the book was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did like it. Like I said, like it. following the fun turtle as he goes on a dark path is... Um, it's a good story, and it does uh remind me of other great stories, but that's what's great about reading stories.
1: You guys weren't moved at all by the black-and-white, uh kind of, like, scratchy, old-school drawings of the, of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Uh, I love that.
0: I mean, as a fan of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series or anything necessarily that's followed since, that does give me a nostalgic rush. I do think... The first issue and last issue in particular of this are really good. Uh, The first issue is awesome.
2: That's my favorite one. The first issue is my fave, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think if you read nothing else, definitely read that. They're all good. The middle issues take their time and stay in a place when I wish it was moving the plot forward a little bit more. But it very pleasantly reminded me of what I like about those old two Ninja Turtle runs were like, it wasn't a joke. It was very deadly serious and horrible things could happen to the turtles all the time. And that's what this really leads into. And when it leads into that like it does in the first issue and like it does in the last issue. It works really, really well. Um, but uh, there's a lot of really good stuff between it as well. So good thing. Thank you for the recommendation. If you would like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to broadcast on YouTube. Coming out, we would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the
2: comic book shop. It's Bananas for the Good Alum.